from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 24, and then from chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis 2 being, of course, uh, quoted in Ephesians 5. Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And he gave, and the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The uh, last verse there uh, being the one that's especially taken up in Ephesians 5. Uh, then also from chapter 3, if he, uh, so in Genesis 3, verse 16. After Adam and Eve had sinned and being uh, confronted by the Lord, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And uh, that verse also is relevant to Ephesians uh, 5, the um, command that, or the prophecy, or, or uh, indication that the husband shall rule over his wife. Uh, the word rule there doesn't have to mean uh, a tyrant's rule. It can be any kind of rule, and we learn from all of Scripture that the rule ought not to be a tyrant's rule, but a loving headship. And uh, the desire of the wife for the husband, uh, best interpretation of that is that it means that her temptation will be constantly to uh, desire to uh, undermine or take over that rule. So that's also the kind of thing that lies in the background of Ephesians then if you please turn to the passage before us this morning from Ephesians 5. Verses, I'll read verses 21 to 33, but the text is verses 22 to 23. There is some uh, degree of connection between verse um, 21 and uh, 22, so they're not unrelated. Verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, now a text, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, 
he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. And uh, this is, of course, a uh, passage that uh, I have uh, preached on in the past here, uh, which gives me the opportunity to slightly rearrange it to emphasise some things that uh, we didn't deal with quite as much last time. Uh, A very rich text like this, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. But uh, let us uh, bow in prayer before we do that. Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word, all of us, will you help us to seek your help to put these things into action, to learn what we may uh, as husbands and wives to put these things into practice, but also uh, as other members of the congregation, those who are not married, that there will be things there too that we can apply to ourselves and to, uh, to put into practice too. And Father, will you continue to bless us as we do so, as individuals, as families, and as a congregation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, uh, there are many uh, definitions, some of them quite humorous, many definitions of husband and wife. I'm only going to mention uh, one of them, and uh, that's my own, one of my own personal favourites, that a husband is defined as someone who, after taking the trash out, gives the impression that he's just cleared the whole house. Uh, so there's a lot of those kind of things around that you can find, and uh, I'm not going to risk giving a wife definition at this point, uh, but the point I do want to ra- raise or to make here is that the world can give such definitions, and you can find lots of them around, They can give some very humorous definitions and they can give some that are a little bit more more meaty, but at the end of the day, the world can only give shallow definitions. Whereas the Word of God gives us a definition of husband and wife that is grounded in his covenant relationship with his people. And also because of that, it is grounded in the analogy between the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. And the Apostle draws on that, on that grounding, as uh, here he continues to spell out what it means to put on the new self. This whole last section of Ephesians is doing that, and now it's coming down to some very specific 
situations in life where we are called upon to put on the new self in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to start this morning with the truths that are taught here about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've, we've looked at that before in the past in dealing with this passage, but I want to focus on that even more. Uh, we've looked at various applications of uh, this passage to family life in the past as well, but the focus that I want to make this morning is on the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, also the church's response to him as the grounding for what is taught here about husbands and wives. And when we've done that, when we've looked at that grounding, then we'll go on to see how that uh, Christ-centeredness particularly impacts on the husband's role and how it impacts on the wife's role, rather than doing this the other way around, uh, starting with the husband and wife and then seeing what that teaches us about Christ. We're going to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. Three points, Christ and the church, secondly, Christ and the husband, and thirdly, Christ and the wife. Christ and the church, the husband and the wife. So as we begin with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his relationship with the church, church's response to him, uh, I want to stress this, that uh, it's really essential that we keep this in front of us. In, In marriage, in the marriage relationship, if possible, if we could do so at all times, to keep before us how the Lord Jesus Christ defines our roles. And the text itself has that emphasis because the text, if you look through it, it actually says more about the Lord Jesus Christ than it does about the husband or the wife. It makes at least five points about the Lord Jesus Christ, four of them very much focused on in the text and another one that's implied. Five things here that uh, affect marriage. And there are also five things that affect you just as much if you are a single person and just as much if you are a young person or if you are older or if you are a widow. The first of those truths that affects us all is that the Lord Jesus Christ is head of the church. Verse 23. And that word head means that the Lord Jesus Christ rules over his church. It also means that he is the source or origin of the church and it means that as head to body, he is connected in a living or organic way to the church. All of that implied by the word head. Now there are those who try to argue that the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ is all about the Lord Jesus being a humble, self-sacrificing servant And that is part of his headship, but that's not all. The Lord Jesus Christ has a rule that includes absolute authority. And therefore, we cannot rule authority out of the picture when it comes to the husband's role in marriage, as we'll see later. Of course, the husband is not, he doesn't have absolute authority. He is not an absolute head but he is one who is called to be an analogy of the headship of Christ under the headship, under that absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. A second thing that's taught about the Lord Jesus Christ 
is that he is the saviour of the church. Also in verse 23. And we might be inclined when we read that to think, well, that's a separate point. Here you have Jesus' head, and that's all about authority, and here you have Jesus as saviour, and that is all about his, his love, his death on the cross. But in this text, those two truths, head and saviour, are brought together. You can see that in the wording. He is the head of church, he himself being the saviour of the body. And we could even translate that this way, that he is the head of the church because he is the saviour of the body. And we know that the Lord Jesus is head of the church because he's God. And that means he, as God, is also our creator. He's the creator of the church. He is also, as God, the ruler of the church. But there is this additional truth that as Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Redeemer who purchased the church. He bought the church as his own, paying the price of his own blood. And in the process of doing that, also set us free from the bondage to Satan. And that then not only demonstrates by that work of Saviour, not only demonstrates his love and his sacrifice and his servanthood, it also demonstrates his power to do those things and it means that he is not only entitled to have this uh, total right of rule and authority over the church because he is creator and ruler but also because he is the redeemer who purchased us. Another reason that he is our head with a right to rule and direct the body as well as being the source of all good that uh, he shows to the body and gives to us. But certainly the term saviour speaks of love and sacrifice and that is spelled out further in verses 25 to 27 that the Lord Jesus as her saviour loved the body, loved his church and gave himself up for her. But in saying that there is also a third truth added and that is uh, another reason that the Lord Jesus did this, or a reason. Uh, it is, in other words, his purpose for doing this, and that is to sanctify the church, to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. Uh, not an expression that means that uh, uh, probably refers to baptism, uh, the water of baptism there in this case, uh, doesn't mean that you're automatically cleansed by being baptised but uh, it means that uh, God cleanses his people in this process of sanctification by the operation of both word and sacrament with the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he did that that he might present her to himself because he's God, he presents the church to himself at the end with all of her glory, holy and blameless, no spot or wrinkle, in other words, no sin, the purpose of glorification. Then uh, also we learn here that uh, since his work has made us his body in spiritual union with our head, the Lord therefore nourishes and cherishes his church in a similar way that one cares for his own body. Rather than hating his own body, uh, people normally take care of their own body 
they uh, feed their own bodies, they clothe their bodies, they groom themselves. If they get sick, they go to the doctor rather than neglecting themselves because there is an appropriate kind of love of oneself as an image bearer with a stewardly responsibility to God to look after that which he has made and given to us. Uh, So in that sense, we love, we take care of our own selves under God's providence rather than neglecting ourselves or treating ourselves wrongly. And uh, so here the point is being made that as we do that for our own bodies, the Lord Jesus nourishes and he feeds and cherishes his church as one does one's own body because the church is his own body. So he feeds the church by word and spirit and he showers gifts upon the church, he protects the church, he heals his people and he also preserves us. So those, in addition to Christ's servanthood, that, uh, which is implied in verses 25 to 27 as he saved us by giving himself up, the servanthood of Christ, then those other four things that are drawn out, these are the truths that we learn about the Lord Jesus. How does the church respond to that? How do you respond to it, whether you're married, whether you're a husband, a wife, or whether you're single, or whether you're widowed, or whether you're young, or whether you're old, how do you respond to these truths? They apply to all of us. Well, one way that you respond, one way we respond as a church, but it applies to all our members, is that we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, the church is subject to him in everything. There's not a single area of life where we can go our own way and say, I don't care what the Lord Jesus wants me to do, I'm just going to do it my way. Not a single area. In everything. Verse uh, 22 also uses this word in the reference to the wife. And verse 21 uses the same word in how we are to be subject to one another. And as I've mentioned before, it is a largely a military term. It's a term that means arranging yourself uh, under authority, uh, under a military commander, for example, or under a head, in this case, under the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we arrange ourselves under the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is your head, and therefore he has that right. But that is not the only reason also because he is your saviour. And that is an extra reason that he has and right that he has to rule us and for us to arrange ourselves under him. And it is also that which creates the motive of gratitude so that we want to serve him and we want to please him and we want to arrange ourselves under his authority because of all he's done for us, not only because of his right, but because we're thankful. And we do that because we recognise that he is our sanctifier and glorifier and therefore we want to submit to his purpose for us. And what a grand purpose that is. If you walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ, if you refuse to uh, arrange yourself under him, you are rejecting also his purpose for his people, which is 
a sanctification and glory that is so great that how could anybody in their right mind want to walk away from that? And also we do it because we are members of his body, which means he looks after his body, he feeds us, he cares for us, he protects us, and if you throw off submission to Christ, that means that you are putting yourself into a situation where you walk away from the very one who feeds you, you're biting the hand that feeds you, walking away, taking yourself away from that food and that care and that protection and putting yourself into great danger, not to mention ingratitude. How then do these truths impact on the husband's role? The second point, Christ and the husband. And the fact that these things do impact is indicated by this little phrase, just as, or sometimes it's only the word as, just as Christ, which is used three times in this passage for the husband. Husbands do this just as Christ. And uh, that's that analogy that we're talking about here between Christ and his church. So when we read these words, just as Christ, what is it that we've learnt about Christ? Remember those five points for the husband's direction? Christ as servant, Christ as head, Christ as saviour, Christ's purpose to sanctify and glorify, and Christ's care for his own body. Those are the five points that direct the husband in his role as a husband to his wife and head of the family. So husbands, if you want to know how to be faithful in your role, start with those things and keep uh, checking yourself on them. Keep coming back to them. So what are those things? How do they apply to the husband? Well, first, there are some of these things we've learned about the Lord Jesus apply to husbands in a general way because they apply to every single Christian, wife included. Here again is that, that application that all of us can make whatever role we have and whatever position in life. Serving others with humility. Every Christian has to do that. Serving others with self-sacrifice. Just like the suffering servant Jesus Christ that truth that comes out in verse 21. That's something for all Christians and certainly for husbands. And that means then not lording it over others, in this case not lording it over your wife, not uh, bullying her, not always demanding your own way and so forth. It means uh, also part of that, that general truth of the things that apply to all Christians. It means desiring to be used as an agent for change. We often uh, say in pre-marriage courses, uh, you ought not to go into marriage with this uh, intention and expectation that uh, you're going to knock your partner into shape. Over the years, you're going, you're going to straighten them. You can see a few faults and it's your job and you're going to be able to straighten them out. Well, you can't, uh, we, we don't have that power to straighten other people out. You try and apply force to them to try and do so, but you can't do it inwardly. Only God can do that. But God does use his people as agents for change. When we bring God's word to each other and when we pray for each other, we become agents for change to the extent that God is pleased to use us. 
and husbands, like every other Christian, ought to want that, to be used as an agent for change for God's people, to be used as an agent for sanctification, to help each other grow in godliness. We ought to want to do that for every member of the congregation and other Christians too as we meet them. And also as part of that, that desire to share the spiritual food that each one of us has been given, to share that spiritual food with fellow believers, especially those of our own congregation. Well, if you're going to do it for the rest, then do it also for your wife. It's a general duty of the Christian. Encouraging each other to fight sin, a general duty of the Christian, which every husband ought to want to do in his family as well. And thus, upholding Christ's work as saviour and upholding Christ's purpose for his church, that purpose of sanctification and glorification. That is the nature of the command in verse 21, but it's also implied by what is taught about Christ's purpose in verses 25 to 27. Well, those are general truths. But there is also something unique to the husband because of that Christ church analogy. He is the head of his wife, verse 23, as Christ also is head. And that implies ruling, directing and leading in a righteous way. This means that he has the responsibility to lead his family, not only his wife but also any children, to lead them in obeying God, to lead them in worshipping God, to lead them in trusting God's promises. It means not only does he have a general duty in humble, self-sacrificing service, not only a general duty that all Christians have, but he has a task to take the lead in doing that as head of that family. To take the lead in encouraging the family to um, sanctification and the resist the pursuit of holiness and the resistance to sin. And all of that involves a very real God-given authority which is not given at that point to his wife. Because, moreover, he is head of the body, he must also love his wife as one loves his own body. And he must do that as a, an analogy of Christ's love for his body, the church. That's why Genesis 2.24 is cited in verse 31 to teach this uh, truth that a man is joined to his wife and she is joined to him as one flesh. And uh, while it is true that all Christians ought to show the love of Christ to other Christians and husbands for a general reason ought to do that to their wives as well, yet there is this additional thing that the husband is to do so as head of the family, to show that love as head of the family under Christ, the kind of love that one has towards his own body. And therefore he is to take a lead in spiritually feeding her, protecting her, and also any children placed under their care. It is therefore disturbing when we see families where the husband does not lead in these things. And there are plenty such situations in God's church at large where, he's not, where he may be perhaps willing enough to go to church, husband may be willing to go to church each week, 
He may be willing even to read the Bible at the dinner table. But basically, he leaves the setting of the spiritual tone of the family to his wife. And he leaves perhaps the spiritual instruction of the children to his wife. And that, I would suggest, is at that point, at least, a failure to uphold the analogy of Christ's headship as well, perhaps, as a failure to uphold his saving purposes for that man's family. Just as it is a failure to try to rule in the wrong way, by force, but without reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ as servant, and without reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ as saviour, and without reflecting the Lord Jesus as the one who loves and cares for his body, but only using force. Well, consider the Lord Jesus Christ. He has infinite authority, more authority and power than any tyrant or totalitarian government that this world has ever seen. And yet... He does not exercise headship or rule by brute force. He does not exercise it by harsh compulsion over his body, his church and his people. So husbands, if you want to uphold the biblical teaching of Christ's headship and his saving work and his servant character, then keep these truths about him in the forefront of your mind and work with God's help, seek his help, to apply these things to how you operate as husband. Well, in the third and final place, how do these truths about the Lord Jesus impact on the wife's role? And again, uh, it's important that the wife should keep before her these truths about the Lord Jesus Christ as she strives to be a godly wife. And as with the husband, these truths have the general aspect and then they have something unique. The general aspect, as a Christian, a wife is called to be subject to her husband as she is to others, verse 21, uh, in order to show uh, the servanthood of Christ and his humility and self-sacrifice. Verse uh, 22 has also... uh, a connection to verse 21 in that way. Uh, Verse 21, the general thing about being a servant. Verse 21 then goes on to continue dealing with subjection but to add in these other dimensions, the unique aspect of it. Uh, She is to be self-sacrificing in that uh, as is her husband and uh, as are Christians in general. She is also in a general way to uphold his work as saviour, as sanctifier, as glorifier, as provider, as preserver, by herself encouraging sanctification and uh, encouraging resistance to sin and so forth. And she, like her husband and like all Christians, is to reflect the love of the Saviour, for example, by sharing the word with her husband and her children as well as with others in the church. Those are general truths. But she also has a unique role to play. She honours the Lord Jesus by modelling the church's response to him in the way that she responds to her husband. And that's why you get uh, two instances, three cases where it was said of the husband, do this just as Christ, but there are two 
such uses of that language for the wife in the passage, that she is to act in a certain way just as the church. So the husband just as Christ and the unique aspect here, the wife just as the church. But the church honours the Lord Jesus Christ, so by acting just as the church, she is honouring the Lord Jesus Christ in that way as the husband does in his. He gives the analogy of Christ's headship. She gives the analogy of the only proper response to the headship of Christ, and that is submission to it, which is very wide-ranging. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 22. Well, all, uh, all believers have to do that with every person whom the Lord God has set over us in authority. Government, bosses, session, parents. We obey them because they are God's appointed authority. He is the one who set them in that place. And so long, unless they go against his will, then we obey God rather than men. But otherwise, we recognize them. Whatever other problems we have with them, they are God's appointed authority. But in addition to that, the wife is to be subject to her husband as the church is subject to Christ. Verse 24. In other words, not only because uh, the husband is God's authority appointment, but also because of this analogy between Christ and the church. And as I noted before, that word means that she is to arrange herself under her husband's authority. Uh, under her husband's authority. That is a military term usually in the original language, but it, that doesn't mean that marriage is a military relationship. It, there's just an analogy here, but it doesn't mean the whole relationship is to a, be a military one where the husband is the commanding officer. He says, right, wife, you go here. For, here uh, your duty, you're on KP this day. You've got to peel potatoes and wash the dishes. It's not that kind of thing. But uh, there is an analogy here, and the analogy is arranging yourself under authority. Not being put under the thumb, but the wife herself placing herself in submission to the authority that God has put in place and to uphold the analogy of the Christ-Church relationship. She is also to see to it that she respects her own husband. Verse 33. Literally, that she fears her own husband. This doesn't mean that she should fear his abusive behaviour and so forth. The Apostle Paul calls on wives to be uh, submissive without being frightened by any fear, 1 Peter 3, 6, and calls on husbands to make sure that they're not acting in a frightening way, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. No, the use of the word fear here is to complete the analogy of the Christ-Church relationship. The church's response to Christ's headship and authority is not one of terror, but it is one of reverence. Fear in that sense. The fear of God, the reverence of God, and a fear of what it would, be mean, what it would mean to turn against the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we can't very well say that the wife has to reverence her husband. We would be uncomfortable with that, I suspect, because reverence is a term we usually use for God and not for man. 
So the translation respect here is probably the best. Uh, the wife's choice to respect her husband, even if in himself he does not deserve it, but her, her choice to do so, her choice to work on that analogy of Christ's, of the church's reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, as in all relationships in the fallen world, this fallen world, uh, husbands and wives are far from rendering the perfect analogy. Uh, we mar that analogy at every point as husbands and as wives. Uh, in other ways, too, uh, we undermine these tr general truths here as single people uh, and uh, as uh, widows and so forth. We all mar these things in some way and fail. Husbands failing to be humble, self-sacrificing, other-serving, failing to love, failing to cherish, failing to serve that purpose of sanctification of others, failing to feed our wives spiritually and protect them spiritually. Wives fail by disrespecting their husbands, by refusing to submit, and note, uh, note the word everything there, to submit in everything, verse 24, uh, such a difficult word, uh, is it not, for the uh, wives, uh, husbands may like it, but a difficult word, submit in everything, why is that said? Because this too, in everything lawful, this is in line with this parallel to submission to the Lord. How does the church submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? In everything. How does the wife strive to give a good analogy of that? By striving and seeking the Lord's help to submit in everything. But of course, uh, doing so uh, will not be easy and uh, wives will fail in that and husbands will fail by sometimes seeking to take unfair advantage of that. How much better it would be if husbands and wives stopped more frequently to uh, consider our words and to consider our actions against what we have learned about the Lord Jesus Christ and this analogy between him and his church and to ask ourselves by what I am saying to my wife or my husband right now what am I modeling and by the way I am treating my husband or wife now what am I modeling or if you are single or widowed young or old by my words and my actions what am I showing here what am I modeling it's just as well the Lord Jesus is a better head and a better savior and a better servant and a better husband, better husband to his church than any man is to his wife. For his work of saving and sanctifying and cleansing and glorifying and feeding and healing and preserving his work of doing those things is absolutely flawless. And it is also powerful enough to overcome any failure on our part, failure to uphold the Lord Jesus Christ and the church's response to him to uphold that analogy. Nevertheless, let us seek the Lord's help to work harder at giving a better illustration to these things, the best illustration we can to this great mystery. Amen. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, would you help us all, whether single, widowed, husband or wife, young or old, to keep before us the truths about the Lord Jesus that we are all called to uphold and reflect, to serve and submit to one another, to share the word with one another, to encourage one another, to encourage also the pursuit of holiness and the resistance of sin. But Father, in addition to that, will you enable husbands to keep before them the loving headship of our Saviour and Lord and wives to strive to model the church's response to that headship, all of it out of love and gratitude and reverence for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Another version of the uh, psalm that we sang before, number 128, with uh, different uh, wording, uh, number 270 in the Psalter hymnal, we'll stand to sing, and would you please remain standing afterwards for the blessing and doxology, 270. After the blessing, as our doxology, we sing number 490 in the Psalter hymnal. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> 